Amen. If you will, get your Bibles to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. Again, I'd like to just encourage you to be looking over prior to the preaching of the text just to have a familiarity of the text as it's being preached. If you found your place to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, let's stand in honor of reading God's word. Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind, in the same judgment. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by closed people, that there are quarrels among you. Now I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I am of Paul, and I'm of, of Paulus, and I'm of Cephas, and I'm I of Christ. Has Christ divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius so that no one would say that you were baptized in my name. Now I baptized also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. Father, God, we come and we... Thank you for your word, the power of your word. God, we need the power of your word to be that sword of the spirit to pierce our hearts today. God, to examine us. And Lord, that we may line up with your word. And be drawn to you. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The strength of the church. Unity. The strength of the church is its unity. There, there are very few churches today that have not gone through some type of split where people have been divided in church. And some of the things that split occur, occur seems to me to be so immature. I could name dozens of things that I've heard churches split over and they're they are nonsense. 
getting new hymnals, arguing over what color the hymnal will be. Getting new carpet, ordering carpet and arguing over what color the carpet should be. Isn't that ridiculous? But yet, it's much greater than the color of the carpet. It basically comes down to the pride of individuals. The, the major sin of all sin, I believe, in the human race is pride. Pride is our main sin. And like any sin, it can weaken the body of believers. Self-centeredness is the root of mankind's depravity. It is ultimately sick. We as Christians are justified, but yet still sinners. Therefore, when several sinners get together and congregate, it becomes easy for self to be disturbed by someone else. James wrote this in James chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Now I want to share with you that James is not saying that you that God's going to sit there and just answer the questions in your favor. He only does it in the will in His will, not yours, and that's a good thing because His will is the best. Few things demoralize or discourage, weaken a church as much as backbiting uh, and fighting among its members. And the seriousness of this is not only does it hurt the body of the church, but it hurts the witness of the church. The, the testimony of the church to the outside world. They hear about it. How do they hear about it? They hear about it from disgruntled members of the church complaining about not getting their way in the church. Quarreling is real in the church because of selfishness and other sins are real in churches people attend. Because of quarreling, the father is dishonored. The son is disgraced. His people demoralized and discredited. And the world is turned off by it. And they're confirmed in their unbelief. They say, why go to church? They're acting... And fighting, they're acting like the world. I can do that right here in my neighborhood. Because they're just being worldly. What's so special about being a Christian when they act worse than we do? i never forget years ago playing church softball, and I had a friend who was the manager over the West Monroe softball fields. And he shared with me that they have business league softball and then they have church league softball. He says they hardly have any trouble out of business league baseball. 
But when church baseball comes, it is fighting and arguing to the max. Isn't that sad? It damages the joy of Christians and the effectiveness of the Christian. It robs God of his glory. It robs the world of the gospel. It is a glorious gospel. A high price has been paid for this good news of Jesus Christ. Yet it's damaged by self-centeredness. Among the Corinthian church, many sins and shortcomings, quarreling is the one that Paul chooses to deal with first. In unity lies the joy of the Christian ministry and credibility. This, this adds much strength to the church and, and to the Christian testimony when there's unity. People getting along. People worshiping together and, and sharing the joy of Christ together. In his highly high priestly prayer, if you turn your Bibles to John 17, find verse 11. Jesus is praying, it's God the Son praying to God the Father. And in John 17, 11, he says this. He says, I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are. Christ prays for unity. He prays for the believers, the disciples, the followers of Christ to become one as he and the Father are one. Then you look on down to verse 21 through 23, and he says that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. Wow, did you hear the importance of what it is to, to have unity? To have unity to be one as the Father is it with the Son and the Son with the Father, it says, so that the world will know that you sent me. That's how important it is to have unity. And that's why that anything that causes disunity in the church should be hit head on immediately, right then. How important is that? How important it is to know that God the Father sent his Son to us. How will the world know this as self-centered people in the churches die to self and be one in the name of Jesus Christ? Verse 22. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one. To know his glory, 
takes unity. What is this glory? Well, what was given to Jesus and he gave it to the believers? All the attributes and essence of God through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And then it tells us in the very first phrase here in verse 23, I in them. You in me that they may be perfected in unity so that so that the world may know that you sent me it is the utmost importance for the unity to, to, to happen so that the world will know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me This is a glorious truth that, that needs to be seen by the world. They, they do not need to see me. They don't need to see Larry. They need to see Jesus who is in me. They don't need to see you. They need to see Jesus that is in you. That's what the world needs. But it seems like that when we walk out these doors of this church, we quit singing the songs about him and we start singing me, 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 me. Ah, 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 ah. This is what I think. This is what I'll do. The world needs Jesus. May we show the world Jesus. That they do not see our self-centeredness. But they will see him in us. With that being said. We'll move into our text for today. Where God's word exhorts us. And instructs us. Exhortation. Verse 10, he says, Now I exhort you. Paul is basically saying that now I come alongside you to encourage you in order to help you. He wanted to help them see their sins and their shortcomings so that they could be corrected. He said he calls them brethren. He says brethren, and he, he refers to them as brethren, he needs them to listen to the sound words. Therefore, he, he moderates the harshness without minimizing the rebuke that he's going to give. They are Christian brothers and should act in harmony as brothers. When you back up in verse 9, he said, They have been called into fellowship with Jesus Christ. That's brotherhood. You know why would someone call you Sister Tracy or Brother Braden? Because they feel the brotherhood with one another in Christ. This week I was sitting 
in a, a little gas station that has a little restaurant, I guess you'd call it, and it's got some little tables and there was some two Hispanic guys came in there and, and they sit in the next booth in front of me and uh, I noticed one, he he bowed and he prayed uh, to himself, but he was there with his eyes closed and he bowed and he prayed and when I got up and I actually stole this from Brother Mickey Bounds, I've heard him talk about it and, and I, I said, hey, I, I think that you and I are related. And he made a face and looked at me. I said, yeah, I, I think we're kin. And he, he looked and I said, you don't know. He said, no, little English. And I said, I saw you pray. So we have the same father. And he went, yes, yes. There's a brotherhood right there. We... We began to talk, and he got out his phone so we could translate to one another. And it was, it was a sweet fellowship to someone I didn't even know. But I discovered he was my brother. A oneness. The goal is to be in unity with Christ. Let me say this. If you cannot be in unity with a brother or sister in Christ, you're not in unity with Christ. You can go, whoa, wait, no, you're not. It, you can go to 1 John and it says, if you don't love your brother, then you don't know me. And I'm not saying that that you all have to like my quirks. You don't have to like my humor. You don't have to like my looks. But you got to like my soul. For Christ dwells there. If the church would come to Christ, be, instead of being self-centered, be Christ-centered, it would have unity with one another. It is about the church being in Him as He is in the Father and the Father is in Him and He is in us. It brings a oneness that is... I, in that high priestly prayer that we just looked at. Now that does not mean that we will all desire the same color hymn books. But it will not be a problem with us. Uh, an, illustrations I, I, an illustration I've used many times. Uh, I was told at my first church, our first church, Tracy and I, by Brother Thelbert Bunch. One time we were uh, talking, we were discussing doing something new at the church, and uh, and you know I said, "What well, do you think it'd be? Everybody be on board with it?" And he says, "It will work out." He said, "I wish I could remember the man's name. He had passed on. I'd never met this man, but he said, Brother Larry, let me tell you a little bit. I was new at the church.' He said, "Let me tell you a little bit about this church because of this man.'" 
At that time, they had a gravel parking lot. And they felt like they needed more gravel. They had already had some loads of gravel came in, and they spread it, and they made a parking lot. But they felt like that, that they needed more for more cars to be able to park. And, and so they wanted more gravel. And they came up in a business meeting, and this man was just bold and said, No, we do not need any more gravel. This is enough for now. And someone made a motion to get more gravel. Somebody seconded it. It was voted. It was passed. The dump trucks came in and dumped gravel, and that man was out there, the first one with a shovel, spreading gravel. And they went up to him, and they said, Brother so-and-so, you didn't want the gravel, but yet you're here working hard to spread this gravel. And he says, Listen to me. It's not about what I want. It's about what the church wants. Now, I want to tell you something, folks. If we had more church members like that, and I'm not just talking about our church. I'm talking about churches across the globe. If they had that kind of understanding, that they can stand for what they believe, and yet when the church decides what to do, they'll be the first one there helping them to do it. That's unity. Paul's exhortation, his appeal was, their unity in Christ would be the unity between themselves. It is in the name of Jesus. Let everything that we do be by the name of Jesus. Uh, when I was talking about earlier about praying and, and said that uh, you have not because you have not asked, uh, you always ask in the name of Jesus. And, and you, you do that because... You know, I've wished for things that I shouldn't have never wished for in my life and through through my life. And seen later, I was glad that I didn't get it. And so we always want to pray in the will of God. And we do that through his name. Jesus intercedes for us because the Bible says we do not know what to pray for. But somehow or another, Jesus filters it out and it goes through him and he says, this is what they need. And that's what's best. When we pray in the name of Jesus, it's not in the hope that we get our wishes, but that we are praying according to the will of his name. He says in verse 10, that you should all agree. How can this be? It, it is to speak the same thing. How, how confusing it would be to the unbeliever hearing conflicts in the gospel. This letter is written to the local church. It's saying, for an example, that Highland Park Baptist should have the same speech. We need to be healthy, harmonious, effective. There must be doctrinal unity. You know, there's there's no need in, in going and saying, well, sister so-and-so believes this, but I, I don't agree with that. We all here in Corinthians, we're reading Corinthians, we're learning doctrines that Paul is going to give the Corinthians, and we should be getting the same thing. There's divisions. Verse 10, in the physical sense... It is to tear or to rip or to separate. And then 
In another way, it means a difference of opinion, a dissension. The most serious division a church can have is involved the doctrine. What is the doctrine? It's the teaching of God's word. Romans 16, verse 17 says, Paul says to the Romans, Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teachings which you have learned and turn away from them. On the clear teachings of the Bible, the church must agree. We must agree. The devil is always wanting to attack the Word of God. And he uses people to do it. He uses seminary, college professors to do it. It's been heard of where they said, well, you know, maybe Mary really wasn't a virgin. Maybe it was just talking of her pureness. Listen, if Mary wasn't a virgin and Jesus was born in a man, we're all damned. We're all headed to hell. Because Jesus is God's son. It is very important to understand that. Very important to know and not let that ever be swayed. And they talk about the impossibility of Jonah being swallowed by a great fish. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. About Balaam's donkey having a discussion with Balaam. And so a donkey can't talk. He can if God opens his mouth. And that's exactly what the word of God said. That God opened his mouth. Verse 10 says that so you may be made complete. It means Christians are to be perfectly joined together. In our individual minds and among ourselves, we are to be one in beliefs, standards, attitudes, and principles of spiritual living. It, it kills me to hear of people talking about saying this saying, well, me and God, and that's not even good English, it should be God and I, but I don't ever hear it say God and I. They put themselves first. It's me and God have our own thing going. I think I told you all this last week. No. <laughs> no, you, you don't have anything going. You need to listen to God. And listen to God through his word. In the same mind and in the same judgment, verse 10 says, unity must be genuine. Our unity is not hypocritical. We're not just agreeing with someone but yet not agreeing with them. Just just being a yes person. No, that's not it. A member who strongly disagrees with the church leadership and policy, uh, not to mention the doctrine cannot be happy or productive in his or her own Christian life or be a positive service to the congregation. Can't be. 
Unity has always been God's way for his people, a source and a blessing to them. A source and a blessing. Psalms 133, verse 1, says, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell in unity. How good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell in unity. The purpose of unity, first of all, is to glorify God. Unity will always bless a congregation and be a joy to its leaders, but primary aim is for God's glory. For God's glory. The, the source of unity is the Lord himself. Look, we're depraved creatures. You leave us to ourselves. And there's that old depravity. There's that self-centeredness that will rise up and, and want it my way. We can't be like that. Elvis Presley song and saying I did it my way we'll wind up being in ruins it's got to be his way and in his way is the way that we find unity he is the source we're called to walk in it we're called to preserve it and we have the capability to destroy it but we can't create it. God creates the unity. It is our responsibility to walk in it, to preserve it. It is established by the Holy Spirit. How do we preserve it? Philippians 2, verse 3 says, Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Our interest is or should be in the Lord and his people. Love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Paul had gotten word, either by letter or by messenger, verse 11, for I've been informed, I've been informed concerning you, my brother, by close people, that there are quarrels among you. Now I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I am a Paul, I am of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Paul had ministered at the church of Corinth for about a year and a half, and he moved on, and he was followed by Apollos, come, came after him, and he discovered factions that was going on in the church through Clove, uh, who was a prominent person in the Corinthian church, who had 
written Paul and or visited him, like I said, the people have. And it was over the loyalty to pastors that been there. Paul, Apollos, and Cephas, which is Peter. And another special claim that people said that it was kind of like that me and Christ got our own thing going, that they had revelation of their own with Christ and didn't follow no preacher. No need for preachers. The result was contentions, quarrels, disputes. It's natural to have affections for ministers of Christ. I know and uh, Tracy and I have loved our pastors in, in the past, and we, Tracy just recently, text one, let them know that of our love for him and, and how much he meant to us as a pastor. And there's no harm in that, but they don't take the place of Christ. Not at all. Such affections, if you allow them to grow bigger than Christ, they become harmful. If it segregates us from others in the church. I do remember of a time that I felt like the pastor of the church was being done wrong and I blanket just throwed out a comment, if he leaves, I'm leaving. But I was convicted. I was convicted of that. And I said, well, uh, God didn't call me to follow man. He followed me to call, follow Christ. So I repented of that. So you do have to be careful. Spirituality produces humility and unity. Uh, carnality produces pride and division. And listen, every one of us carries this flesh. Don't be surprised to be caught off guard and the flesh reacts. Verse 13 talks about a oneness in Christ. It says, has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? No human leader, no matter how good, how loving he is, loyalty belongs only to the Lord. Paul points to Christ alone. Paul saying, don't look at me. I didn't, I haven't been crucified for you. I, I don't... You don't get baptized in my name. It's Christ. I mean, it seems as Paul is even getting upset about this. Don't you, don't you use me to rob him of his glory. It's sad to say some preachers would really get into that today. Because some false prophets are all about themselves.
Christ says, excuse me, Paul says it's Christ alone. He says, I, was, I wasn't crucified for you. It is a dangerous thing to, to focus on the preacher. Because every preacher, every preacher has faults. You might not see them. But if you get focused on the preacher, and it might go on for a time. It might go on for years. But if you focus on a preacher when you think the world and you're so concentrated on the preacher, Satan will show you that fault. And you'll be disheartened. You will be let down. Please, please don't never focus on me because I have plenty. What Paul is saying, don't focus on me. I'm pointing you to Christ. Focus on him. Christ has no faults. The preacher's faults will discourage you. But Christ will give you peace, hope, and joy. Verses 14 through 17. says, I thank God that I baptized none except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one would say that you were baptized in my name. But now I did baptize all the household of Stephanus, Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in the cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. Paul stated, he only baptized a few. He named Crispus, Gaius, and the household of Stephanus. And besides that, he does not recall baptizing any other. Verse 17, uh, he said that his calling was to preach the gospel. You know, there's a lot of evangelists that probably could tell you they haven't baptized people because they're not the pastor of the church. And and it's very easy to go from church to church preaching revivals, but never even being a part of the baptism. Sometimes churches are baptized a couple weeks after the revival for family members can come and things like that. So it's understandable. And so Paul is clarifying that he hadn't baptized anyone. He does not rely on self-effort, but upon the one who called him. He said that he's called to preach the gospel and it, it is not about him, it's about the calling. It's about the calling. You know, I, I've had to go back and, and say that a few times. Some, sometimes I just didn't feel adequate to stand here and preach God's word. I felt like I didn't have it down. I felt like I didn't have it just sunk into my mind and heart well enough. And, and I'm thinking, man, and I got up here and it just seems like God takes over. In my weakness, in my weakness, God is strong. 
The main thing is to be devoted. Preachers, Christians, believers, all need to be devoted. I've been asking you to be devoted to Corinthians in the study. Be devoted. I've spoke of my friend Hank Newton many times. Uh, Hank's daddy, Ken Newton, been a cowboy his whole life. When Hank was a little boy, he had dreams of Hank being a cowboy. And he had some steer horns on a sawhorse. I can't remember the number. I want to say 200. But he had Hank as a little boy to get a lariat rope and go out there and rope those steer horns like 200 times a day. To go out there and rope and rope and rope and rope. And when Hank was just a young man, he could rope. When they sent him after a cow, he went and got it. Because of that devotion that his dad put into him to continue to rope and rope and rope, that he knew how to do it. I think the same thing applies of us staying in the Word of God and reading the Word of God over and over and over and over. The Word of God is the living Word of God. What does that mean? That means that God comes alive in you and begins to talk to you and you communicate with God through His Word. And it's of utmost importance that we're in the Word of God. It's God who has the power to save, to convert a soul, to have one to be born of the Spirit. It is not the preacher to say, look at me. He is to direct your eyes and your mind and your heart to Christ Jesus, the Lord and Savior. The only hope for mankind. I love those who, who ministered Christ to me. But the reason I have that love for them is because they pointed the most special one out to me. They pointed to Christ. I am nothing without Christ. But in Christ, you and I are children of God. Paul goes on, he says that he was called to preach the gospel, but not in the cleverness of speech. That speaks wonders for me. I am so thankful this is in the Word of God. I know that I butcher the grammar of the English language. I know I mispronounce words. I couldn't say familiar. I can't still say it. familiarity uh, earlier. I was struggling just trying to get that word out. But I'm thankful. I should give God my best and try to learn. But it's all about Him. It's all about Him. David Ring, 
a man that was born with cerebral palsy, and he has a very hard to talk for him. But he's an evangelist. And I tell you, I heard him, and you can pull him up on YouTube, and he's singing at the Gaithers thing, and he sings victory in Jesus. And to me, it's absolute beautiful, even though his voice is all messed up, because he ain't singing it to sound pretty. He's singing it with his heart. He says, Paul says, I'm thankful so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. Paul states, we preach Christ crucified. Um, my, my speech, Paul says, that will not attract you to be, this is what I believe he would say, does not attract you nor to be a pleasant sound, However, the one in whom I preach, being Christ, will save your wretched soul. It's about what he's done. In Galatians, chapter 6, verse 14, Paul says this, But may it never be that I would boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Paul's telling the Corinthian church, look, stop your arguing. Stop your disputing. Stop your preacher following. And get your eyes focused upon Christ. Let him be your all in all. Let him be your desire, your passion. You will never find no wrong in Him. And understand that the Gospel is all wrapped around what He has done. That He has laid His life down. He has been a propitiation for your sins. Our sins has been imputed to Him while His righteousness has been imputed to us. Trust in Him. Don't split over this and that. Colors of hymnals. Know the Gospel. The very teachings of the Gospel that brought you to Christ. And proclaim it so that others may know Be unified in Christ. And therefore, if you'll get that, if you'll get that, you'll be unified with others. And every time you see a sin of a brother or sister in Christ, the first thing you need to do is look back at yourself and ask yourself, am I without sin? Now, I would tell you, as Paul told them, 
then in the most loving way you know, if you feel like their sin is going to be hurtful to them, and of course all sin is going to be hurtful to them, or hurtful to the church, then you need to address it, but in a loving way. And you address it to who? You don't address it to other church members. You address it to them. You talk to them, the one that has the sin. You don't go around and spread it just to be gossiping. You talk to them. Amen? To all God be the glory. Father, we come and we thank you so much, Lord, for your word. God, help us. God, on a daily basis and throughout the day to be unified with you. Help us, Lord, as your vessels to bring you glory. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.